Hi, I'm Andrew Keith Walker. Hello, I'm Barbara Reed. Hi, I'm Laura Rodriguez. Hi, I'm John Kernan. Hi, I'm Nick Bruce. And this is the number one regulatory reporting podcast in the EU, the UK, and around the world. So join us as we go behind the scenes and under the hood to look at the big issues and news stories, companies, and personalities who are shaping the world of regtech, fintech, and trade repositories. Welcome to the RegisTR Roundup. And remember, this podcast is brought to you by Registr, which is a six-company and features members of the Registr team and special guests offering their personal opinions, not the opinions of Registr as an organization. There is no representation made as to the accuracy or completeness of information in this podcast, nor should you take it as legal, tax, or other professional advice. Okay, and welcome back to Season 9 of the Registr Roundup. Yes, we're back. Season 9 already we started back in 2020 and we just thought there was a few shows in it and here we are uh 70 plus shows later and still going strong and that's because the reg tech market is still moving at an incredible pace and there are many changes and developments underway and joining me to discuss that of course this week is none other than our regular co-host mr nicholas bruce uh who is head of business development registry on nick welcome back Thank you, Andrew. Um, good to be back. And yeah, it's hard to believe, isn't it? When we first started, I mean, we were both 18-year-olds. And look at us now. I know, I know. that I couldn't even grow a beard when the show began. And look at me now. <laughs> I look like Gandalf. It's uh, It's been a massive change. And I understand. I just want to say congratulations. I hear as a Man City fan, things are going really well for you right now. Uh, yeah, thank you for that, Andrew. And for the listeners, I am still an Arsenal fan. And we will leave all the football talk there. Cheers for that. There's only one sound effect for Arsenal these days. Oh, oh if only John Kernan, the CEO of Registry R uh, UK, was here now. Uh, Tottenham fan, uh, obviously, he'd be enjoying that. But uh, anyway, we don't have time for this nonsense because we've got to move on fast. Amir Refit is uh, obviously moving on a pace. There's been lots of news and developments in that area and joining us to discuss those and also strategies for moving forwards with your own Amir plans. Of course, we have two experts joining us. One is an old friend of the show. You'll know him of course, previously, uh, when he was a director of sales at Delta Connect, but he's now vice president of sales at Regnology. It is, of course, Fabian Klar. Fabian, welcome back. Hi, Andrew. Yeah, thank you for having me again. It's always a pleasure being with you. It's good to have you back. And also joining Fabian is uh, a new name, but certainly someone who will be back on the show, I have no doubt, in due course. It's Fraser Reed, who is the pre-sales analyst at Regnology. And if you don't know Fraser, uh, you probably do. If you've worked in and around uh, derivatives, trading solutions, uh, software, uh, and worked with Fraser as an architect, programmer, or strategist in that space, you will know him uh, probably from his role at Axiom SL, uh, but also as a consultant as well. And I'm glad you're here because we are talking about some juicy, nitty-gritty stuff, Fraser, and we're going to need a little, need to get a bit oily and get the old spanner out. So thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for inviting me. Really excited to be here, actually. And I want to start with you, Fabian, because obviously the, the, the main thing we need to you know explain is why is Regnology here? You're a registry our partner. Tell us more about that. How is the partnership going for you? Yeah, I mean, we're we're a partner with uh, with Registiar since a couple of years already. So we have quite a lot of clients using our software solution and reporting into Registiar. Um, the partnership always worked very well, and uh, for sure, uh, Registiar is one of our preferred uh, um, 
partners in, in the area of transaction reporting. Yeah. And I, I want to get a feel for the big picture here from you, because there is a bigger picture, isn't there? We had the, the DQR on transaction reporting 2022 came out from Amir, uh, from ESMA rather, talking about Amir, SFTR and MIFIR and, and the way that these regimes complement one another and fit together and also gives us an idea on where regulatory reporting is going to be going in the near future. Because we know the market participants are always thinking, what's next on the horizon? You know, what, yeah. what do we have to adapt to now? What's, what is that all about? Tell us about the DQR. What, what's the, the big picture? And also, just uh, for our listeners at home, and certainly not for me, uh, what does DQR stand for? Because uh, that's one acronym I haven't come across yet. Uh, sure. So uh, DQR is the data quality report. So we're talking about the DQR 2022. Um, so the first thing, uh, you went over it quite uh, briefly or quickly. Um, the first thing you, you recognize is that MIFIR for the first time uh, is part of the, of the uh, DQR from ESMA. Why is that? Well, obviously, ESMA has become the direct supervisory entity for the big arms, significant arms and APAs. Um, so that's certainly one reason. It's also a transaction reporting regime. But um, it becomes more and more evident uh, that people should look really um, on a more holistic view on their transaction reporting. In the past, it was uh, fairly uh, often that people were looking at it as silos. So there were different projects for the different regulations, etc. And... Um, you now see that uh, ESMA puts all the dots together and and has a kind of a, a supervision around um, the different transaction reporting regimes. So what does it mean? I, I mean, obviously, there is a kind of an overlap between the EMIR reporting and MIFIR reporting, for example, in terms of scope, but also in terms of, of fields. And what we've seen in, uh, from from various uh, customers in the past that they did their um, or they run ran their pro, their projects on MIFIR and EMIR completely uh, separate one from each other, uh, which led to the to the situation that you reported different values for the same field under different uh, uh, regimes. This will certainly not go through anymore in the future. So we were more or less preaching in the past uh, years that it makes absolutely sense to have one software solution that runs all, and and basically one data model to uh, to report under various regimes. And you now see that this was clearly the right uh, focus because the regulator will now put everything together and will also reconcile interregulation if you if you want so. I just add to that. I always think of it as timeliness, completeness, and accuracy. That's the three buzzwords that have been used for years about transaction reporting. Okay, we seem to have addressed the timeliness aspect, and now the jurisdictions are focusing on well, how complete is it, how accurate is it, and that cross-jurisdictional aspect of, of Amir Mifid, SFTR, and so forth, where there's common data flying around. That's pivotal, and that's leading back to that harmonized model. Source it once, map it once, use it multiple times, but don't try and play games with siloed approaches to reporting. It will fail. If you look at it from a TR perspective, the messaging that we get is, is loud and clear from ESMA. It's, you know, one of the key drivers for refit is data quality. And also within that messaging is there's no absolution from, you know, for market participants when Refit goes live, because ESMA are actually expecting that data quality to be there today. I mean, that's what comes out of the reports is, yes, they're analysing it, but the fact they can analyse it now doesn't mean that the data quality shouldn't have been there from day one. And very much so, this increase in fields, I think, 
part of the driver behind that is they, there is a belief that that will allow clients really to focus on the data to ensure they've got all aspects of the data on their core systems, on their golden source that they're retaining. So they will be closely monitoring that. The message being given to the TRs is they'll be looking at our records as well. And also they're looking at the ways that we can assist clients as well with the way that they analyze their data. So I think Fabian's, you know, he's hit for me, the, the real nail on the head in terms of where ESMA is going. And that's, again, you know, it's aligned to the errors and emissions and all of this. It's all about ensuring that from day one, people understand their data and they're in control of their data. They understand what they're reporting and it's accurate. And that is going to be monitored and it's going to be audited. And, you know, I think if people haven't got that in the market yet, they really need to understand that. What about divergence? between Refit UK and Refit in the rest of Europe. Presumably, we've talked about this on the show, market participants are going to have to maintain two data models. They're going to have to uh, do all those things which are bad practice in computer science. As we know, you know, you don't want to have multiple sources. You've got to have harmonized data. I mean, what's your view of that? How is the UK market and how are, are participants with dual reporting uh, requirements, how, how are they uh, sort of getting on? I think so. I, I, I said, look, as people have learned through history that um, creating siloed models for individual jurisdictions was a recipe for disaster. It's become very complex to maintain, very expensive to maintain. The refit has triggered them all into thinking, can we harmonize our data? Can we bring it back to one distinct uh, data model that reflects all the jurisdictions we have to report to? And that methodology, that that philosophy falls into the whole EU versus UK refit subject as well. Where's the common data? Where's the individual attributes that are specific to a specific jurisdiction, be it Europe or UK based? And as long as they're fixing themselves on that need to get that data modeled once, then the the implications of where that data is used and how it's reported will fall into the the actual regulatory side of the the software. Um, from a from a technology perspective, Abacus Transactions will take that data once. And, and look at the idiosyncrasies between EU and UK and, and report accordingly. And it might use the same data, it might use specific attributes that UK bring in that are now different from what was there before. It's all down to getting the data right once and let, let the solution then handle the actual uh, sort of reporting based on the data received. The actual dual reporting as well that's taking place is the fact that both counterparties in a, in a trade have to uh, report. So this is a a challenge, isn't it, as well? Because now we have this uh, uh, sort of complexity that's rising about UIPs and the issuance of identifiers, the matching of uh, data and that kind of thing. I mean, from your view, is this uh, a task that one entity can really handle and should be in charge of issuing you know, identifiers and that sort of stuff to partners? Or do you think you have to work with multiple systems and multiple different partners depending on their needs? I mean, the, the, it seems like a complex task from a software engineering point of view. I would say it is complex, yeah, and it's down to the individual customers we're working with as well in terms of their expectations when it comes to that level of complexity, um, how much they're expecting from the the vendor in terms of regular reporting versus how much are they expecting to handle upstream uh, prior to actually sending data through. Um, a key factor to all of this is the the actual need to to bring back uh, analysis on what's happening at the reporting level. That matching, mismatching philosophy that's coming in to do with that accuracy, for example, is pivotal now. If you, if you can't sort of pick up on your 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 pairing matching issues and actually determine what's going on, 
and you can't feed that back into uh, communication with your counterparties or communications upstream where, where something's happening internally. Sorry, I, I, I was going to say that um, I completely agree with that. I think one of the things you'll find is that working on the regulatory side it is the gift that keeps giving because I think the one thing that's constant is the change and it's always being refined and it's being refined because i suppose even when you look at that stable state the markets will always change products will change as well so there'll be a need to adapt to that but the way i look at it as well is one of the things that we've sort of touched upon is you know there's a lot more common data now that's coming out which fraser mentioned but also when you look at the uk and you look at the eu with refit the fact that you've got obviously the implementation at two different dates you know, you're now looking at operating two different technical standards. Now, there are some changes as well between the two standards. And I think the one thing as well I would always say to everyone is you have to start looking at these things as separate regimes. Yes, you need your database of information, et cetera, and you need to ensure consistency. Um, but equally, you've got to look at every regulation and the UK and the EU as different regulations because really what you're looking at now is very small amount of divergence, um, although managing the two different implementation periods is going to be potentially a huge undertaking for entities. Um, but the other thing is going to be that you can expect, I would say, in the future, potentially more divergence as well. And you have to ensure that you're plan you plan and you're ready for that. Whether it comes or it doesn't, you've got to make sure you're ready for that. And that, that's just one thing I wanted to flag as well, because I think that's really relevant in the whole discussion. Yeah, I tend to think of it as the, the what I call the in-hindsight phase now, once it goes live, they suddenly say, oh, we wish we'd thought of that. Then you'll see a number of changes to the, the specifications coming through that lead to more incremental but painful steps that we have to go through to comply with those sort of uh, things that they wish they'd thought about before they started kind of kind of uh, discussions. So when it comes to automated pairing and matching, can we just go back? Now, Nick, you'll remember we had a lot of fun chats with, with guests about uh, UTIs uh, during the sort of SFTR uh, sort of precursor sort of months, and then when SFTR went live, the UTI thing seemed to have solved itself, and everything was fine. Um, I mean, Fraser, is it not just simply a question of taking that same kind of solution and mapping it over to Amir, or does it not work because of the sheer sort of scale and volume of transactions that Amir covers? So it's it's something that's easier to implement with a simpler solution for a smaller regime like SFTR. I personally think, but I'm always uh, an optimistic person that it is uh, adopting the same approach as before but at a different scale potentially but if if the if the operational models are in place correctly if, if the software is working as it should do then scale should not be the matter because because it's a it's a process that happens repetitively um so be it one transaction or a million transactions it's the same process so uh, a lot of the the uh, in terms of that delivery is all about now getting the operation operational model correct on day one and making sure that uh, pairing is happening when it's supposed to and matching becomes something that, that you take as a normal daily process of looking at what your counterpart is doing and try to understand why you've got a mismatch somewhere. Yeah, I think uh, sp talking specifically about the UTI, I mean, obviously, ESMA now endorsed the CPMI IOSCO standard, so everybody should do it in the same way. First of all, the question is, will they do it in the same way? Because it will be an enhancement of the systems again. Uh, the second thing, uh, which I find particularly um painful sometimes for the for the clients is that they implemented that new for, uh, waterfall schema and the, uh, the the dual siloed agreement is not anymore on the top of the um, of the waterfall meaning um, that there are certain 
uh, circumstances where you have to generate a UTI and where you have to receive the UTI de- trading with the same counterparty, which causes some headache uh, to the market because obviously um, in the past, most of them did a simple agreement with the counterparty saying, look, in this if we trade, you uh, generate a UPI, uh, UTI, you transfer them to us and we, we're we going to uh, um, receive them and uh, take them into account. This was a fairly easy approach, right? Rather now where we uh, have that kind of a waterfall, it depends on the individual situation. Is it traded on a trading value? Is it cleared? Uh, who's the buyer? Who's the seller? Et cetera, et cetera, which adds a level of complexity, which... I believe was not intended by by ESMA, um, but it could lead to a certain disruption at the very beginning because people are still working on the assumption they had before uh, having a mutual agreement is the highest uh, part of the of the uh, waterfall. Moving on, I want to talk about the future now because, of course, you know it, this is a big change we're dealing with the mere refit. The, we know every market participant that has obligations to report, and there's a lot more of them, obviously, because of the expanded scope, they are going to be looking for solutions. And this is the classic make or buy dilemma that I think obviously hits markets. Uh, and so I want to come back to you, Fabian, on that, you know, make or buy, how, uh, how do you advise people what's right for them? And also, you've got a whole load of new solutions like the connection to the uh, Anna DSB, You've got various new tools that you're launching uh, and sort of have a modular approach. Um, but is that, you know, does that bias you in terms of buy over make or, you know, does it depend on the client? Yeah, I think what is still quite a problem for most of the entities is to see their total cost of ownership, right? So uh, people are always thinking about buying a solution will be more expensive than than actually building one, which is, in my opinion, uh, not true, and especially not over time. Because obviously what you don't have, if you uh, have your own uh, solution, is you don't have a clear view on future developments, meaning you you cannot really budget uh, something in which you don't know. So it could be that in one, two, or three, five years, there might be other changes in other regulations, which you cannot predict right now. If you, if you, or generally, if you buy a solution externally, the vendor will take care of adapting the um, the system. He somehow uh, price that in into the uh, into the service pricing, right, into the subscription or, or license model, depending on on, um, on uh, which way he's going, but. Um, I think the fundamental uh, uh, thing is people have to look at their at the total cost of ownership. So not only running something on the on a, a BAU basis, but also being in constant change and constantly adapting the system. And will they have the the ideal solution uh, uh, going forward? And um, Fraser, I mean, you've been building trading solutions in the derivative space and then the the reporting space for that kind of time period have you seen a shift away from uh make uh to you know buying in services because pr- presumably back in the day clients were sort of you know bamboozled at the prospect of buying you know massive cloud storage and complex uh sort of cloud features to actually process this data or rather you know trying to build their own stuff and keep it in-house wouldn't have been scalable enough do you think that's that's a shift that's going on or do you think clients are actually starting to embrace cloud and and have you know upped their game in terms of their tech i think there's there's, there's two areas there one is the cloud for sure um i mean seven or eight years ago you'd say 
we have a cloud option, they would all say, no, no, we do, we don't need, we don't use cloud. Now it's almost becoming the the expectation that there's a cloud offering for any kind of reg solution, be it in the transaction space or capital or financial, whatever. They're looking for for cloud capabilities. So um, I think uh, refits also became that trigger for that review of the internally we've spent lots of money doing siloed solutions. Should we continue the strategy with this new effectively rewrite of the mirror or should we think of something else? And that's driving them, a lot of them, the, the prospects to look at. Now, maybe it's time to harmonize, not just our, our siloed approach, but look at it in a cloud perspective as well. So a total cost of ownership suddenly becomes based on what's the vendor providing if you go down that bypath and is it in the cloud? And and, and what does the cost saving uh, translate into from the perspective of internal infrastructure, silo solutions, disappearing, harmonized approach, one production platform, cloud-based. Significant approach towards reducing those costs that, that Fabian was referring to. And I think that's becoming the, if, if it's not happening already, institutions will be looking and saying, we need to sort of bring things back to reality. And the future is cloud. The future is to have potentially vendors doing this for us. We shouldn't be embarrassed by the idea of going to a vendor rather than doing it ourselves. Um, that economy of scale that Fabian's referring to, uh, lots of customers coming to us, making sure that we do it correctly. So when the next customer comes along, they have a confident feeling the platform works. It's all about getting that feeling that uh, acting as a collective, you're getting a single solution that's actually compliant and you're not worrying about having to do it all yourself. And Nick, I mean, yeah. from your point of view, is everyone going the same way on this? Uh, yeah, no, I, I, for the sake of neutrality, um, I will come in and just make a few comments. Look, it's, it's horses for courses is the way I look at it. Um, have I seen a trend of clients moving to sort of vendor solutions? Yes, and different types of solutions. So, you know, whether it's a full-scale outsource uh, of the reporting, whether it's just component parts, um, I've actually seen some large clients actually going the other way and actually in the process of going the other way where they actually feel that they need to have more retention over the data and over the reporting and they want to be able to demonstrate that it's been generated for them. But then that doesn't mean they're not necessarily going to be using a third party to supplement what they're producing as well. So I think there's a whole host of solutions. I mean, for me, that's why our partnership program is so important. And why it's important that we have, you know, vendors and partners like Regnology the, you know, they're there depending on the type of client and the client's needs. They can add real value and help them with that reporting journey. And I think for me, that's just the most important part. That's the way I look at it. Okay, so tell us more then about your investments there, uh, Regnology, in improving data services and the ability to uh, work at a fairly advanced level with data, because it, quite prominent in the news was your acquisition of SDMX, the uh, metadata exchange, uh, metadata as it was known here in the UK. And uh, you've obviously written and talked a lot about harmonization. Tell us more about this. Do you think the future for the reg tech industry is really a data game uh, as much as plumbing and wiring and making sure that, you know, all the right trades get filed in the right places. Yeah, I think metadata fits very well in our, in our general strategy. So uh, what, what Regnology is intending to be or to become is, let's say, the one um, provider for all types of, of regulator, uh, regulatory reporting. And if we are talking in, in that round about regulatory reporting, we're, we're much focused on transaction reporting. But obviously, there's much more regulatory reporting that needs to be done. We're talking about CoREP, FinREP, uh, Anacredit, etc., etc. There's a lot of uh, different regulations, a lot of data needs. So 
focusing uh, on that part um, will certainly help uh, the, 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 the market in the end to get things right and not to work on, on individual um, uh, battlefields, let's say. Um, so um, this is, is the clear view on, on Regnology becoming Europe's most important, um, let's say, regulatory reporting provider and really uh, uh, cover, let's say, the big majority or the vast majority of uh, regulatory reporting requirements in, in, in general. And uh, Fraser, I mean, from your side, have you seen the, the, the requirements to get more out of the data? Because we know we've got all this data washing around now in companies, and we know there's this dark data problem. About 80% of it never properly gets processed or analyzed, and they're not drawing necessarily the right metrics or the right sort of insight KPIs to, to get the best out of it. Do you, do you find that's becoming more of a requirement? Is it one of those things where you can help clients sort of discover that they've been running a repo book that's actually not worth the effort uh, that they yeah, never really yeah. knew about, that kind of thing? Almost definitely. I mean, there's, there's two aspects to that data as well. I mean, the supervisory side, the subtext space, is getting much more sophisticated in terms of taking data and, and analyzing data. So, and that in turn puts pressure on the reporting entities to up their game in terms of data quality. So it comes both ways. Uh, the other side from the, from the regulatory reg tech perspective is I always see data as something that can be used internally. So it's not just for regulatory reporting. You're building maybe a data repository, data warehouse of lots of smart information, nice cool banking model behind it to drive it all not just for regs, you can actually get value out of it, not just the cost in terms of keeping compliant, but use that data internally to improve your business, even make your business more profitable if you if you use that data in certain ways. And Nick, this must be something actually that uh, SIX can offer very effectively as well, because uh, they are market infrastructure, they span jurisdictions, and they have a huge amount of plumbing as well. So this must be something that you're quite familiar with from, from your side clients wanting to know how your relationship with regulators and your connectivity with uh, central counterparties, with central banks and with uh, NCAs and, and entities, uh, you know, that, that must play a big role, actually, increasingly in what market participants are looking for in providers. Uh, yeah, look, I mean, obviously, it helps being part of a, a huge group because you get intelligence across that wider group. Um, but regardless, I mean, just as a trade repository, we work with all of the NCAs across the jurisdictions that we operate, as well as with, you know, the likes of ESMA, et cetera. So we're extremely well plugged in as an infrastructure provider. You'd expect that. But yeah, it does help give us perspective. Uh, but it's actually interesting, though, because listening to what Fabian and Fraser was just saying, I'm actually getting flashbacks to some of our previous talks with Alex. And we always end up talking about this, you know, all of the information is going to be in the cloud. It will end up being a poor model and talking ourselves out of having any jobs in the future. It's true. Um, that, that, I think hopefully, fingers crossed, we're, we're a fair way away from that at the moment. That's but a, we, always, we always go up into that hypothetical conversation. A big shout out to Alexander Bex and the golden data lake in the sky. <laughs> uh, where where we all go when our careers have ended in regtech, and <laughs> on that positive, uh, I think note, it's slightly existential but positive. Nevertheless, we do have to tie the the show to a close. But we have a new uh, seasonal question we're asking people because, of course, as Nick will tell you, uh, he's hardly in the office anymore. You are travelling a lot now, aren't you, Nick? Yeah, absolutely. At the moment, yeah, I, you know, I, I just post, send pictures to the kids and that just so they know what I look like. Beard update. Yeah, how long my beard's getting. But yeah, I'm permanently on the road. Yeah, he's permanently on the road, but he's permanently in good shape, which gave me this idea. Really? What are, well, 
I mean, you know, you're you're slim. I don't know what it's like inside. It's probably, you know, <laughs> struggling. But you look great on the outside. So this is where I'm going with I don't I'm I'm on a diet, I'm losing weight. We've all got to deal with the fact that, you know, since the lockdown, none of our suits fit properly anymore. What are your conference eating and drinking tips so you don't pile on the pounds as conference season kicks off across the summer? Yeah, Andrew, I'm currently or since beginning of the year, I'm not drinking any alcohol. So that helps already a lot. So I'm trying to to get myself in better shape. Uh, I don't know if I should recommend it to everyone to not drink any alcohol. I think it's it's still part of the of the social uh, um, part of the of the conferences. But um, yeah, that's what I'm currently doing in order to get myself a little bit healthier. That's a so, good one. I've it, also I've also cut out uh, apart from you know weddings, funerals, family occasions, and weekdays. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Fraser, <laughs> what about you? What are your tips? Uh, my my tips is to not work from home if you can avoid it, because all I do is sit and drink cups of tea and slices of lemon drizzle cake, and it's not going down very well with the figure at the moment. So, literally during this call, I was I received another slice of lemon drizzle cake, which I've got to eat in the next ten minutes or so. But, uh, but yeah, I'm hoping to get back on the road and get away from this uh, working home mentality, because I'm pretty sure I'll start losing weight very quickly once I start doing that. Just being outside the house will make a difference. <laughs> Getting onto Fraser's point, that's. Actually, that's my tip at the moment is I think it's more about the mind than the body. So I'm just buying bigger suits. Then in my mind, I'm still keeping that figure. It's the best way. Okay. I've, given up, I've given up on fitness. That's good. Well, I'm glad to say you've mentioned two of my favourite things there. Fabian's mentioned booze and uh, Fraser's mentioned lemon drizzle cake. Frankly, that's that was my diet. Uh, you know, <laughs> up until the much-needed medical intervention, as you can imagine. So Good. There you are. There's some tips, right? Lay off the booze at the conferences and, you know, uh, get out there. Less working from home. Uh, and if you are working from home, lay off the cake. Good tips indeed. And ones we will be taking with us. And from us all here in the Red CR Roundup, that sadly is the end of the show. So from uh, my regular co-host, Mr. Nicholas Bruce, uh, uh, thank you very much. Thank you, Andrew. And a huge thank you, Fabian Fraser. Really enjoyed the show. Thank you for joining and yeah a huge thank you from all of us here at the roundup to our very special guest and that is the vp of sales for regnology it is of course fabian clar thank you it was a pleasure being with you and our pre-sales specialist at regnology uh fraser reed thank you thoroughly enjoyed it and thank you all and remember do come and join us on our linkedin page that is linkedin.com slash company slash register hyphen tr and there you will find everything you need to know about this show about the new episodes coming up you can network with fabian and fraser and with nick and the rest of this virtual studio crew you can catch up with me if you want to and share health tips lord knows i need them and in the meantime from everybody here at the roundup have a good couple of weeks have a safe couple of weeks we'll see you in a couple of weeks bye-bye